around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We've got another episode today that is a, that's a, a break in the Star Trek Discovery season. We're, we're doing a deep dive into what you might think of as research, but I have an announcement first. Whoa. It is... We didn't talk about this ahead of time. I'm a little nervous. It's the week of San Diego Comic-Con this week, Ben. Oh, really? Yet another uh, nerd convention that we haven't been invited to. <laughs> and, that, and that I want to propose something toward. And that is, uh, I know we have a, a number of, of Greatest Gen viewers out there who might go and attend. I don't know what this new Adam is that like looks at the calendar for when an episode is going to come out and makes a determination based on that. You know a couple of things about me, Ben. I'm a, I'm a fastidious note taker when it comes to organizing my life, and I also keep calendar records. I'm a real uh, future Supreme Court justice, Ben, in uh-huh. that way. Yeah, except for somehow we miss the 75th anniversary of D-Day for our Friendly Fire podcast and get 10 million tweets about how disappointing it is that we didn't do an episode for it. Well, I'm not going to dwell on the many ways we disappoint our viewers. Instead, I'm going to I'm going to give them a goal. I'm going to give them marching orders, and and that is, if you go to San Diego Comic Con, uh, I would encourage you to wear one of our many Greatest Gen T-shirts. Maybe snap a photo of yourself. Cosplay as a friend of DeSoto. Uh, maybe you're you're in a photo booth with someone wearing that shirt. Maybe you've you've taken a picture of yourself with Jonathan Frakes. No way. In either way, uh, post that photo to Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen, and we'll we'll give you the benefit of our retweet. We got you. How about that? Wow. We'll give you a boost. We'll we'll make you look cool in front of the rest of the friends of DeSoto. Not a chance. I like it, and uh, and you'll be helping us get the the word out about the show. That's what I'm saying. There's supposed to be a lot happening at this uh, at the San Diego Comic Con, Ben. Like they're bringing the whole uh, wagon train of Star Trek there. We've got like representatives from all of the shows coming up, even the animated show. Wow, it's going to be a big thing. Sounds like one hell of a comic convention. Yeah. Have you ever been to, uh, down there for San Diego Comic Con? I've been to San Diego for work a number of times, and I really like. Every visit I've had there, it's uh, like I'm, I'm one of the people who like San Diego. I know a lot of people, most of the people who live there don't seem to like it, in oh, really? my estimation. But uh, yeah, I dig it. It is really mental when Comic-Con is on. I bet. I went for work for Comic-Con one year mm-hmm. to do a bunch of video interviews. And uh, we found out that they needed us to go about four days before Comic-Con started and the hotel rooms that we had to get were $500 a night. Yeah. Because <laughs> there was there was just no room at the inns and uh That's how it goes. It's a really nice hotel room, but <laughs> felt terrible spending it even though it wasn't my money. What year was this? I feel like it was 2013, I want to say. 
I didn't even go into the convention, you know, like we we didn't yeah. even get credentialed because so many like ancillary events happen surrounding Comic Con that you were aren't... man on the streeting. Yeah, well, I mean, like we went to like one of the people we interviewed was Aisha Tyler, and she was in a fancy bar that a video game company had bought out for the week to demonstrate their new video game, and she was being a she was a paid spokesperson of that game, I believe. Was this bar the Lincoln Room? I don't remember. One of my favorite bars I've ever been to was called the Lincoln Room, and it was a Abraham Lincoln-themed bar mm. in San Diego, which means it, it, like, on the interior looked like it was a giant log cabin, <laughs> and the uh, and the bar was was tiled in pennies uh-huh. with like a with like an epoxy resin over the top. Oh yeah, and uh, just a great, great, great cocktail service. And uh, some really good bar food, and unfortunately, uh, they couldn't sustain business, and they closed. I don't know, like five or six years ago. So, you might have been there, you might not have. But that was, I missed that bar. It was good. Really, too bad that a Lincoln-themed bar <laughs> went out of business, Adam. Why can't we have anything nice? Um, perhaps because that's a terrible idea. <laughs> You're such a hater, man. You would have loved this bar. I know it. They had a they had a number of mezcals there. Mm. Abraham Lincoln, famously a big fan of mezcal. Couldn't stop talking about it. There's a whole like a lot of people don't realize that the Gettysburg Address that you see at the Lincoln Memorial is just the first verse, and then after the chorus, there's a whole second verse about how much he loves mezcal. Lincoln would put mezcal in any hole in his head. <laughs> Ben, that uh, that brings us to the whole goal of today. It's talking about another man for whom something terrible happened. Kind of a sad story, what happened to Christopher Pike, and we find out all about it on today's episode of The Greatest Discovery, which is one in which we watch the original series and an episode called The Menagerie, part one. This is a hijack episode. It's also an episode that kind of it tell it tells a lot of its its tale through stuff we've already seen. Uh huh. It's a real crew. People watch the episode episode, which we yeah. have savaged earlier. And they kind of like more more than any other episode like that. Kind of drag that as a concept within the episode. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. They comment on it, which is great. Yeah. Welcome to Starbase Eleven, Captain. We open up at a uh, at a starbase, and this is a real fun painted psych depicting a uh, a very futuristic city with a you know like a planet with rings that seems way too close in in the sky. And yeah, it's a real uh, end of Hunt for Red October <laughs> sense of proximity here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The city looks very painted on, but uh, but like the previous episode we uh, reviewed, I. I like the effort and I like, you know, the sense of place and color that this gives. And I feel like a comparable TNG episode, this would just be like a courtyard, you know. It's effect context, right? Like, I think one of the reasons why we like the effects in the last few TOS episodes we've seen is because it is like in keeping with the sensibility and the ability of its time. Yeah. And one of the reasons why we're so savage against uh, more modern 
poor effects work is because sort of like using that example at the end of Hunt for Red October, you can make that effect good in its time, and they right. chose not to do it. Yep. Fun mystery is is kicked off right away. The, the entrepreneur has been recalled to Starbase 11, and it's one of those things where, uh, where Kirk arrives on planet, and he's like, hey, so we got your message. What's up? He just sort of claps his hands together and and uh, and rubs them back and forth, like we're ready for whatever you sent out for us for. And the the greeter there is like, we don't know what you're talking about, Miss Piper. Yeah, who right away is into Kirk. She is the she's sort of the attaché to the Commodore, and uh, I felt like the direction in this scene was particularly weak because the. I don't know. It's it's like one of these like weird '60s scenes where there is obviously a a misunderstanding, but nobody seems to be able to just come out and say like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> like when when she says, "I'm curious why you're here," he like turns to turns to his men like this idiot woman, <laughs> like that. That's the look on his face. Oh, interesting. I never read it as a as like a gendered slap. Oh, I totally did. And then and then when she walks away, he just smirks at her like I I I fucking hated Kirk the second he walked into this episode. Wow. Uh I didn't get that at all. It might have been because I was a little distracted by like straight up gauze lens anytime they were shooting Miss Piper. Like yeah. they were they were giving her the beauty blur in a way that that no other character was getting. Yeah, well, you don't need to give beauty blur to men because men are not beautiful, Adam. <laughs> right. Though these men, I would say, kind of are. <laughs> well, we meet the Commodore and uh, they continue to argue about where this message came from. And then the conversation pivots toward a Captain Pike and what happened to him. The Commodore's like, you ain't been reading on the blogs? Yeah. People have been chattering about Pike for months. At this moment in time, your Star Trek viewer would not know who this is. So I saw something that The Cage got aired on NBC maybe once. So really? maybe you're very lucky you've seen it, but maybe like just some affiliates or something? I think this episode is more satisfying if you had never heard of him because the reveal is shocking and it's grotesque. In a way that, like, you see the you see clip show Star Trek, and they show you Captain Pike in the wheelchair, and you you see the prosthetic face, and it's almost camp. But in the context of this episode, there is nothing fun about seeing him or experiencing what he's gone through via the story that that Commodore Mendez tells. It's just yeah. not great. They walk out of Mendez's office and up to the medical area, and uh, this is the ICA, the intensive care area, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the rare Star Trek location that has hinges on the doors. Right. Uh, they th- This door swings open and- And it swings in so Pike can't leave his room. <laughs> it's so <laughs> fucked. They didn't even lock the door. Yeah. Pike uh, swivels around. Very low quality loaf. This is one thing that is, uh, it feels a little bit like a dunk to compare it to what was shown in Discovery, which was so like, you know, like they did some prosthetic makeup and then enhanced it digitally to make him look extra melty. 
Mm. This is just daubed on foundation makeup, it looks like. There's a choice that's made here by Jeffrey Hunter that I think is really interesting, which is he is always mouth open. Yeah. And there's something about that that makes him look like he's even he's in even more pain than if he had just sustained these burns and he was just confined to the wheelchair. He's also not letting his confinement limit his performance, at least from his eyes standpoint. Like, right. he is doing zero facial expression and a thousand percent eyes expressions. Yeah. The story with Pike is that he was on board a cadet vessel that had an accident and he was exposed to Delta rays. This is the vision of the future that we got in Star Trek Discovery. Uh, we saw this. Yeah. Previously, and then we've seen the consequence both in that episode and here. Uh, it looks like it was really painful. Like when you combine those two stories, you get the full vision of the thing. The disco story is a retcon that he had foreknowledge of of this befalling him. But mm-hmm. the, like one thing I really wished for in this story was some. Uh, some sense of resignment to to this fate. It seems insane that they they don't have the medical technology to help him communicate at, at any more than the the one blink for yes, two blinks for no. Because what everybody's saying is that his mind is 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 all there. He's not he's not diminished mentally in any way. It's just that his body is totally fucked up. This is what's referred to in modern medicine as being locked in. Right. And uh, I mean, it's no it's no less horrible seeming in a in a 60s television show than it than it is now. It's it's tough. And, you know, what's interesting about this episode is like there's a scene where Kirk and McCoy talk about Pike together. And there's a real sense of tragedy, especially like from the medical professional in the room. Like McCoy is really feeling awful about how little there is to do for him. Yeah. It's an argument that's almost tinged with regret that he didn't die. Did you feel that? Like, I wonder to what degree McCoy feels a country doctor sensibility of like, of, of like, there's such an absence of mercy to this. Yeah, I think that's, that's sort of what I was trying to unspool is that you could switch the titles, right? Like you call this episode the cage <laughs> right. and it would make a ton of sense. Yeah. I don't think this episode reveals the answer to this, like who who sent the the message, like how did Spock make the leap to coming? Because the, like Pike basically kind of tells everybody to fuck off via the medium of blinking yellow lights, and Spock asks if he can stick around and gets a yes, and then Spock is saying like, "Can we do this thing? What do you want me to do? You know why I'm here." And Pike is, is like, against what Spock's plan is. Right. Despite the obscurity of that to us. Like, they both know what they're talking about. Pike's flashes are uh, two flashes equal no and one flash equals yes. And he's just no, no, knowing over and over again. Or yes, 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 yesing, depending on, on the code of the pace of the flashes. Right. So Spock commits himself to... Mutiny, essentially. And we go to title sequence. 
there is a lot of uh, angry argument between Kirk and uh, Commodore Mendez about like why the Enterprise is even there. Uh, there's no evidence of this transmission ever having been sent. But Kirk is like, well, Spock told me it was sent. And Spock doesn't talk shit. Like, that's, like, that's as good as, as the truth, as far as I'm concerned. I don't second guess him. He's a Vulcan. He's not going to lie about something like that. The episode does a really good job of beginning in one way and then continuing in another. Like, I, I sort of, I was surprised that they were still talking about where the message came from because I was so distracted by Pike circumstances, you know? Right. They, uh... <laughs> They radioed down to some guy in like the uh, in the communications department who uh, is uh, you know another one of these very blue collar seeming TOS guys, and they're like, so uh, so did we send this transmission? And he's like, nope, we've explored all possibilities. And they say, explore all of the impossible ways we could have sent it. And uh, the guy's like, all right, and uh, <laughs> very dutifully. Uh, heads off and in walks Spock, who starts sneaking around this room, neck pinches another uh, another worker and starts uh, starts monkeying with the computers. He is especially stealthy for a man wearing boots on uh, <laughs> on a concrete floor. This guy does not see him coming, and this guy actually gets in a couple of good punches. And I feel like Leonard Nimoy as a stunt person, is great here. The punches look like they land. Oh, yeah, when the other guy comes back? Yeah. Because, like, at that point, there's some kind of timing to this. Like, uh, like Spock is uh, is spoofing Captain Kirk's orders up to the Enterprise. Right. And and so he needs those to kind of come in at a plausible pace and, and rate. And, and, uh, and they have, like, a fight while Spock is trying to work the the knobs and switches on the computer. Yeah. <laughs> I love how 1960s these computers look. It's it's like the uh, original Italian job or something. They know what a computer is to them at in the 60s and they sort of only have a vision for what it could be a few years into the future. Right. It's great. Like big colored discs and stuff. I think that almost all sci-fi is subject to this. Like yeah. one of my favorite uh sci-fi things in the last several years is that Aliens video game for PlayStation, Mm -hmm. which was set like in the same time period as Alien, the first film. You're talking about Alien Isolation, the game? Alien Isolation, yeah. Yeah. Like everything is like on tape and super analog feeling and like every computer you interact with is like a huge wall of switches and everything everything is low res and shitty and, you know, there there are no flat panel screens anywhere in the game. It's all CRTs and and VHS. And the the scale of this computer room too is great. It's like, it's like 80s Cray computer size situation in there. You know, those old boards full of holes that, like, old-timey telephone operators would connect people with. So. Yeah. It's great. So, despite a couple of good punches by this uh, by this computer tech, he's ultimately pinched into submission. And what happens from here is we cross-cut back and forth between uh, Spock's mission and Admiral Mendez explaining Captain Pike's backstory. He does this first by showing Kirk the Metallica music video for one. And then he puts like the, the Federation file on Talos four on the desk and then opens it for Kirk to read. 
the way feder- the Federation writes reports is pretty hilarious. <laughs> it uh, it summarizes it down to a page. Like if it can't be, <laughs> my an old boss of mine uh, back in my <laughs> back in my corporate communication days said that if it can't be put in a trifold brochure, it can't be said at all. <laughs> and there's like there's like an efficiency in in the medium here that I think is great. Just just like 16 point font double spaced one page this is the report on talos 4 if you read that report you're led to believe that the only two people that were ever anywhere near talos 4 are pike and spock spock uh is referred to in this report and by the commodore at all times as half vulcan science officer spock yeah which like racially dunks on him right (laughs) They don't call uh, Kirk, like, fully human Captain Kirk. No. It's awful. It's not half-human, science officer Spock. Right. Crucially. (laughs) Octoroon Spock. Yeah. uh, Yeah, it's very problematic, but uh, they've come a long way by the time the the films roll around, I guess. Yeah. We've heard of uh, Starfleet General Order number one, but this report refers to... Starfleet General Order number seven, which is that nobody's allowed to go to Talos for, and it is the only thing still in the rules in the Federation that you can be put to death for violating. The only thing that the death penalty still exists for is going to Talos for. That is incredible. The Federation has the death penalty. Yeah, but just for this one thing. Wow. <laughs> Like, did, like we just watched that episode. Did anything in that episode make the case for this being a death penalty level offense? I guess because you're, like, dooming future generations to slavery if you let them fall into the hands of the Talosians? I guess so. Wow. There must be so many fucking, like, subreddits about speculating what's going on at Talos 4. You remember that TNG episode where an alien revealed itself to Picard's Enterprise and then they wiped the memory of them and then just the the mystery became so tantalizing that they couldn't help but, like, redo it over and over again? I feel like by making this a... (laughs) An executable offense, you're doing nothing but make Talos 4 attractive to people. Yeah, you're stress and affecting the planet. Right. Right. Commodore! Captain Pike, he's gone! Uh, we don't get much time with this file because when when Miss Piper looks over at the monitor, she notices that Pike is gone. And then a second later, they realize so is the Enterprise. And yeah. then we get Kirk Eyes to commercial bid. Very fun Kirk Eyes to commercial. Uh, Commodore Mendez is like, why don't you blow in a hail to fully black communications officer Ahura? (laughs) Jesus, Commodore Mendez. Yeah. It doesn't need to be this way. Everybody that isn't a white man has to get hyphenated? What the hell? (laughs) Yeah, pretty rough. So McCoy is on the Enterprise. He was ordered back during that conversation he had with Kirk earlier. Yeah, and he got he has he's had some kind of interesting uh, moments in this episode. Like he he is making the argument to Kirk, which like it doesn't really need to be said to Kirk, except for maybe for the audience's benefit. But he keeps saying to he keeps saying to Kirk like Spock is not is not a liar. He would never lie. He's a Vulcan. Like 
it's such an interesting part of McCoy, who is a total Spock skeptic in right. most things, that he really believes in the kind of Vulcan exceptionalism of Spock at the same time. Yeah, because those things don't need to be false for him to hate and make fun of Spock the way that McCoy does all the time. Like, these are the things that he finds loathsome about Spock. Right. And he's just stating them as a reason for for Spock to be innocent of what people are accusing him of. Those things established, McCoy, like, gets up on the bridge while Spock is announcing to the crew that he's been given temporary command of the ship and that they're off to a destination that they're not going to disclose and nobody should ask any questions or... Uh, make any inquiries and uh and kirk is like on medical leave and mccoy's like what the fuck is happening here kind of a lot happens in less than 60 seconds here yeah spock plays a recording for mccoy ordering him to care for pike as he's on board so this sort of like squirrels him away yeah it's it's kirk saying like make make sure he's comfortable but don't ask too many questions (laughs) It turns out that uh, a shuttlecraft has been scrambled to pursue the entrepreneur, and on board it's Kirk and Mendez giving chase. Yeah, it's a very Hunt for Red October moment, right? Because they're yeah. like, they're like uh, pushing past the fuel reserves. They're not saving anything for the swim home. Right. And this kind of puts Spock in a in a tight spot because he's doing something that is a death penalty level offense. But he doesn't want his captain and a Commodore to buy the farm just because they uh, gave pursuit. So Kirk really checkmates Spock here by bringing the Commodore along because in a needs of the many kind of math scenario, two is greater than one. And and if, if Spock's original mission was to care for Pike, he now has to care more for the Commodore and Kirk. And so like... Before McCoy is willing to come out and say it, Spock is like, all right, uh, get some security guys up here, uh, like stop the ship, beam the captain and the Commodore aboard, put the shuttle in the cargo bay. Uh, I need to be uh, taken into custody because I have done a mutiny. You know, of all people to submit to, Spock has to submit to McCoy. And McCoy is like... (laughs) McCoy's like, what should I do? And, And Spock's like, you should confine me to quarters. McCoy's like, okay, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> it's great. Like McCoy is so blown away by a circumstance that he is he is totally rendered mute. He's kind of Troy in disaster, right? Like, yeah. Like suddenly in charge in a way that is more than he anticipated when we got out of bed that morning. Yeah. So Kirk and Mendez are beamed aboard the ship, and one of my favorite shots in this episode, Ben, is Mendez stepping into focus off of the transporter pad. Did you get this? I loved that shot. Man, Uh, you just never see that anymore. It's a very, like, I mean, you see it in, like, sort of artsy contemporary film. Yeah. but, uh, But you don't see it in a Star Trek TV show. Yeah, I really love that shot. Yeah. And it's not like he's super blurry in the background. He's just like a little bit out and then he steps into sharp and it's it's nice. It's a good moment. It really is. The back half of this episode is going to be a courtroom drama en route to tell us because the computer is locked in and it's like a data level of encryption that 
Spock has applied to the the program that the ship is running. Like nobody can crack it. Nobody can uh, wrench control back from the ship and prevent them from going to Talos. Spock is almost aggressively uninterested in defending himself here. Like if Kirk and the Commodore are trying to put him in the back of a police cruiser. Spock is like bashing his head against the frame of the car on his way in. Like he is not interested in a hearing. He wants to skip straight to court martial. And you know what that means, Ben? You got to put on the finery and uh, and strap on the trivial pursuit pieces. They have some really jazzy dress uniforms in this era. Looking good. And another example of. Uh... Some of the people were asked to wear their dress uniforms to the courtroom, and others were, for inscrutable reasons, not. <laughs> yeah. Scotty maybe just has never been decorated. Montgomery Scott went into engineering so he wouldn't have to wear a dress uniform, laddie. <laughs> <laughs> I love this whole, like, well, what are we going to do with all this time? I mean, I, I guess we could have the court-martial now. We could, uh, what do you say we watch an episode of Star Trek? <laughs> This is amazing. And this is this is what you were alluding to in the beginning of the episode, Ben. Spock presents the video evidence, and then they almost immediately stop it. They're like, we aren't going to watch a fucking episode of Star Trek right now, aren't we? <laughs> Spock's like, well, you asked me, basically, to show you an episode. And here I am. And it literally is the episode. I, I don't know if you... Did you watch this on Netflix or... I did. So the... Like, they show that, I mean, we commented on how crappy the optical effect is in the opening shot of mm-hmm. uh, of the cage in uh, on, on Netflix. And yet in this, they've cleaned it up and, and redone it as a CG shot and actually fixed the problem of the camera angle of the bridge being wrong for the the effect that they were going for. I noticed the same thing. If you watch it on Amazon, it's the original. It's all the original model stuff. Like it's not the it's not the polished up uh, fancy version. And I'm not sure if it's HD or or not. But wow. But yeah, like you. So you can watch both versions pretty easily if you have Prime and Netflix. It looks really good. I have to admit, really liking watching original series Star Trek in the remaster. It's it's nice. Yeah, I think the remaster is good. I think it. Uh, it generally uh, adds to it, and I think that like the aesthetics of the CG are are kind of fun, and it's it's I I like that they resisted the temptation to try and kind of bring it forward in time at all. Yeah, but like the so like the shuttlecraft, if you watch the original version, doesn't have it. It doesn't have like Picasso written in cursive on the front of it. It's just a it's a it's a very low low rent model but it's also like asymmetrically melty and squished (laughs) together and like there's an eyeball on the side of it but it's generally the same shape right (laughs) yeah it's an abstract expressionist version of that shape but commodore mendez might be watching the unmastered version because he's complaining about this the entire time yeah the case is made like like we don't we don't film our missions like this we don't have like edited like camera fly-ins from exterior to interior of the ship. Kirk doesn't say too much at this moment because I think he's horrified. He's like, "Have have people been rolling tape on me the entire time?" Oh, oh my no. god! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the um, eventually consent to just watching this, and it is literally like the first 
20-ish minutes of the cage that they show fairly unbroken. Yeah. It's like up to the moment where Pike is abducted and they and they shoot lasers at the at the uh, elevator. Right. Uh, if you want to hear us talk about the cage, you can watch the episode before this one that we released in the Star Trek Discovery feed. Yeah. This is interrupted briefly by Ahura saying that they have received a communique saying that because they're receiving communications from Talos 4 and have been the entire time, that Kirk has now been relieved of command. Like, right. like the ship from the beginning of the episode until now has been receiving transmissions from Talos 4. And as we know from that one-page report, any communication with Talos 4 is, is grounds for severe punishment. Right, and uh, and the episode clips that they've been watching were that. This would seem to indicate that the Telosians have been communicating with Spock the entire time. And Yeah, I guess so. And they were the inciting incident to make this thing happen, right? Yeah, I guess that's the that's the answer. I didn't I didn't put it together when I was watching this, but if that's true though, then there would be like the idea of punishing anyone for communicating with the Telosians is great and everything, but there's no prevention of the Telosians communicating with you. Right. It's an unfair standard to, uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I guess, uh, you know, if somebody hails you and you start receiving the transmission, maybe Spock, like, opened the door to it by, like, like when you get a text message from somebody for the first time, it, it gives you the option to report it as spam. It's like those countries that uh, that criminalize sex work, but only against the John, right? Right. Like, you cannot be a Federation John <laughs> and, and solicit the Telosians, but they can solicit you. I guess so. What were we watching? This is bad, Ben, because not only is Spock up for the death penalty, but Kirk's career is ruined as well. Yeah, and Pike's life, right? Yeah. So the episode ends with Spock's insisting that Kirk sit back down and watch the rest of the episode and uh, Kirk refusing and uh, he gets a chant going, the assembled crowd Lock him up! Lock him up! Lock him up! This is the only original series episode that's a two-parter, Ben. So this is the original fire from Best of Both Worlds. Yeah. Pretty wild. To be concluded next week is the title on screen, which is a... uh, a real mouthful compared to <laughs> the way uh, most television does it. It's crazy. In syndication, you get no guarantee. Like, they couldn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's fun. Real roll of the dice. Uh, I think we can agree that we like the ending, but did you like the episode, Ben? Uh, I did. I <laughs> I think that... Uh, it's a pretty fun and creative idea for like, hey, we have this whole episode that like almost nobody has seen. What if we just uh, like, why don't we save a little bit of money this week and next and, and like and make a bottle episode where we just use that footage that we already spent a ton of money on shooting. Funny story about that, Ben, is that they were not going to make the season budget wise. And it was creative thinking by Gene Roddenberry that said, I've got this episode. I'm going to make it into two. And he saved the season by making what he called an envelope episode. Like he, he constructed bookends to 
the cage in such a way that that got value for what had already been shot. Wow. And so he was able to to get a full season run because he sort of Franken-episoded the cage. I, How fucking lucky were they that Spock made it from pilot to series? Because right? <laughs> yeah. if Spock's not there, it there you don't have anything. It's true. And and like the like character stuff established about Spock at this point can be used in in your favor to like to break this story. Yeah. Did you like the episode, Adam? I really did. I was trying to scrutinize it in the way that's like, that's sort of the reason that why we're watching this episode. Does this help me understand Pike? Does this help me like him more or less? And I think it's too early to answer either of those questions. The cage takes place before we meet Pike in Discovery, but this takes place after, right? Yeah. So it like it's interesting to situate that, that episode in this in this story arc, I think. Right, and like what you're saying is the Menagerie Part 1 is to the cage as that Star Trek Discovery episode of, on Talos is to this original series episode. They're, they're both looking backward yeah. in an interesting way. I think I'm going to rewatch that Talos episode before yeah. I watch the second part of the Menagerie. It made me want to do the same. I, I really like the episode. It would take a very bad part two for me to dislike part one. One thought that came to mind as I was watching Menagerie part one that I didn't consider during The Cage or Star Trek Discovery was the sadness of Telosian life. And by that, I mean, like, they don't do anything to create their own memories. Right. They, They just live in solitude in a cave and, like... They they live to consume other people's memories. That's it. And how much of a tragedy it is. What we should do is put like a million episodes of HGTV shows in a in a space probe and shoot it to Talos. Let them watch a bunch of people renovate their houses and then announce that they have a great new space to make new memories <laughs> and let that inspire them. You know, great idea. Go for an open concept where, you know, you can see the kids from the kitchen Hmm. out there in the living room and make some new memories. Make new memories, guys. You don't have to do everything with everybody else's memories. Well, uh, I'm just getting a message here, Ben. It's from uh, it's from Starfleet HQ. You've been sentenced to death (laughs) (laughs) for doing any communication one way or the other with Talos. Yeah. Most unfortunate. Damn. Well, Ben, one communication that is not punishable by death is via the priority one message. What do you say we check to see if we have any? Let's see if we're dead or not. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Oh, Ben, we do not have any priority one messages this week. Uh, But if you would like to support The Greatest Discovery, one of the best ways to do that is by going over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, and they are a great way to support The Greatest Discovery, both in and out of its season. Thank you. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. 
uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I got to give it to Bones McCoy on this one. The whole scene on the bridge where he is just talking around the fact that Spock is very nakedly hijacking the ship, hmm. but like Bones keeps tiptoeing up to the line of saying it. I just found it was so funny like like that he just couldn't quite get there. <laughs> I almost gave my Shimoda to McCoy also, but for that uh 
that A to B that happens when McCoy is like, is confinement to quarters enough? <laughs> because he's just sort of bewildered about his circumstances. And, and then Commodore Mendez slamming his nuts in the door by like almost immediately going like, whose idea was it to just confine him to quarters? Yeah, what yeah. kind of idiot would do that? <laughs> Anyways, whoever it is, fire that guy. Uh, but instead, my Shimoda is Chief Humble, and he's the computer operations guy working in the lab. Oh, yeah, yeah. The reason is because uh, he just seemed like an editor to me. <laughs> when Kirk communicates with him and he's like, check everything, check even the impossible to see if you can figure out the, if you can solve this mystery, that, God, that seemed so much like a client asking an editor for footage that doesn't exist, you know? Yeah, and also, like... Him just being kind of like complacently agreeing to a a totally outrageous request is something that I feel like you just get into the habit of badly as an editor. Sure. Uh, you just want to get off the phone at yeah. that point. Yeah. You're like, hey, listen, I kind of designed my life around being alone in my edit bay most of the time, which is where, where I'm happiest and uh-huh. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Chief Humble is uh, is regretting not putting specifically how many revisions were in the contract. So <laughs> he is in hell right now, and yeah. he's my Shimoda. Boy, it's fun to tell a client that they've uh, already gone over their yep. revision quota. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's tough. Any further revisions? Yeah, I'm going to start uh, having to invoice you guys for those. Hmm. Well, Ben, uh, I think we know what's coming up on the next episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's The Menagerie Part 2. Yeah, from uh, November 24th, 1966. Wow. Was it that long ago? I was I was only a boy. Yeah. It's amazing to me that uh, these episodes are like, they're all 50 minutes long. You got a full extra six minutes of television yeah. for your hour in, uh, in the 60s. Before advertisers just crammed themselves into the free spaces yeah hmm yeah pretty good value for your star trek dollar in the 60s but uh yeah i'm really looking forward to it and uh and that'll be a couple of weeks from now so uh thank you for sticking with us in the off season and as we do our do our long overdue homework and uh i guess we'll let robs take it from here you have homework too hashtag greatest gen san diego comic-con pictures show me what you got Show me what you got! Show me what you've got! (laughs) The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. And it's produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusea. You can support The Greatest Discovery by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate or by leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you're posting about the show online, please use the hashtag Greatest Discovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR. Adam is at Cut for Time, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks. We'll see you next time. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported